There we go. Well, we are recording. Yeah, it always gives me two options, record to this computer or record to the cloud. And I always hit computer. I guess I just hit cloud by accident. Not important, not interesting. Thursday, December 15th, 2022, 4.15 p.m. Eastern time with Dr. Aaron Williams, a, the, uh, the, the wizard of 222 nanometer light. He is a warlock of the highest order. He practices dark magic. Well, not dark magic. He practices blue magic. And um, I think the last time we chatted, was it the last time? You mentioned a book called The Crowd by Gustav Le Bon. And uh, I actually went and got it on Audible and listened to it. And uh, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And I had... So like when I first heard Dr. Malone mention mass formation psychosis on Joe Rogan's show about a year ago, I thought that Matthias Desmet was like some old like Sigmund Freud figure. And then I ended up having him on my show because I realized he's like 15 years older than me. I was like, oh, I, I just figured this is a guy that's been dead for a century. And I was like, oh, no, he, there's his email. All right. So when I when you mentioned the book, I was like, I had just, I guess, incorrectly assumed Gustav Le Bon is just like a, you know, I, I searched for his Twitter and then I realized, oh, wait, he died in 1931. But so I was correct uh, how I should have been acting. But what's interesting is, uh, you know, when I first found out, well, I, I don't think I checked his death date. I checked his birth and I was like, oh, this guy was born during like the Civil War. Like, OK. But what I hadn't realized until I think towards the end of the book was that he wrote the book. There's several versions. I don't know which version I read. But I assumed that he had written it after World War II. And it's so eerie reading it and knowing that it was the final edition, the final most revised. It couldn't have been past 1931 because that's when he died. Two years before Hitler came to power. But the entire time you're reading it, it just sounds like a book that was written immediately after World War II because he's describing to a T Hitler and sort of mass formation uh, just kind of the psychosis of crowds, the easily, you know, offer the Hegelian dialectic, be the savior. And then you finish it and realize like, oh, no, he. Oh, he's using examples like the Titanic, because that was the most recent thing. And then you realize oh, this was all before Hitler and to a T, it's what happens with Hitler, which I think kind of. You know, it's, that's a really bad I told you so. But I guess it proves his theory's right. Like he died two years later. Hitler. I I hope Hitler didn't read that book. I was like, oh fuck yeah, check out this blueprint. But um, I realize I haven't let you say a word yet, Doctor Williams. How are you doing? I'm doing great. No, I'm enjoying hearing your thoughts on it because uh, those are those are great thoughts. And how this stuff plays out is it's pretty incredible. I mean, we spend so much time in our, you know, in our different distractions and what have you. When you actually spend time getting into this stuff, not only do you learn a lot about, you know, what's going on around you, what's gone on in the past, but it's actually quite fascinating. And, you know, those points you brought up are, are great. And looking at how one of the things, good things to talk about today will be looking at how are these people prescient? Um, is it people who, you know, are looking out there and then someone does pick up their ideas and run with them? You know, what is, you know, how did this kind of transpire in history? That'll be something, you know, the chicken or the egg sort of uh, debate will, will be something interesting to delve into. And as you were you were talking about the um, the different distribution or publication, I guess, dates, it uh, looks like the original one was in 1895. 
Okay. Yeah. 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 So before World War One, even. Well, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm incorrect, but World War One didn't seem like there was the. I don't know. Actually, I don't know enough about World War One. I. I guess it doesn't have such like an overarching figure as a Hitler, where you really, incorrectly, there was obviously a million things that led to World War Two. But I mean, for the most part, it does kind of seem like we can pick Hitler as this like point of new, like this this domino that set it off, right? Maybe World War Two would have happened anyway. A lot of historians argue World War Two is just a continuation of World War One, and there was a brief ceasefire for twenty years. Um, or 25, whatever. Yeah, 20 years. Um, but yeah, he kind of, but, but what's interesting is seeing seeing these ideas not just be published before the rise of Hitler, but seeing them play out in really the last three years of, of our own lives, you know, and it, it, today being December 15th, 2022, really seeing kind of just the COVID era, the... I guess the insanity, I mean, he kind of describes like the psychology of it, but I really think it's the insanity of crowds is it's insane how, how accurate it is, you know, and and not just because it's vague. It's not that at all. It's not like he makes vague claims and you can apply it to anything, you know, like evil exists, like, see, he was right. No shit. But like, the idea of like offering solutions of people seeing things that didn't exist and everyone confirming each other's own reality of uh, kind of the, the momentous, what word am I looking for? Conclusions that crowds can reach and they can very quickly spiral out of control. I mean, you can go from you shit, you can't spread misinformation to we need camps for the unvaccinated. Like there is some weird, I don't know. It's like those equations you use in physics, like PV equals NRT. And like, you can raise one value on one side and then obviously it has to drop on the other or whatever, you know, the overall figure is the same and you can just, it's like as a crowd, as a group grows from one person to three people to 30,000 people, it's almost like the complexity of its group consciousness has to decrease. It's like you can take an individual like a Dr. Aaron Williams or or Tommy Kerrigan and like we have our traits, we have our, you know, things people hate about us, things people love about us, our senses of humor, our knacks or whatever. And then as like the 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 thing grows into thousands of people, it almost reverts into sort of a primitive it doesn't have like a favorite song or a nuanced take on like a political event. But it does sort of just become like a silverback gorilla. And it's just like, kill the enemy, you know, take the women, eat the food. It's sort of just, it dumbs down. It's like you have to spread an IQ out over. It's like you have to spread out one person's IQ over a group of 30,000 people. It kind of just almost becomes an amoeba. There's no introspection. There's no, it just lashes out. Am I, did you, are you agreeing with anything I'm saying or am I just talking out of my ass here? No, no, I think I agree with you for sure. It's the psychology is just really, really fascinating. And, and at this time, you know, um, living through what we're living through right now, it's very frustrating as well, especially when you kind of see it, you know, at least to a degree, at least that's what we're perceiving is that we see what the truth looks like and, uh, you know, being the, the only 
uh, sober person at the drunk party, essentially, which gets frustrating over time. But it's better to know not than not to know and just be frustrated, fearful, and you know, and upset. And you know, one of the things you you were hitting on in terms of you know, it played out then, it played out now. Well, I don't know that much about World War One. Um, I'm learning some more about it over time, but these are patterns that have been well-worn. Well, well-worn, but it's just been unbeknownst to us. So whether it's in the medical field and you talk about, you know, the different, say they shade the medical studies a little bit or pharma kind of puts their elbow into the FDA or you have conflict of interest back and forth, you know, we know generally to look out for that when we're like evaluating a singular study, but then we forget about it when it's the Pfizer study, you know, coming out at the beginning of this being 95% effective. What does that mean? It means, well, you had a less than a 0.01% decrease in your chances of getting it if you take our shot. So we should give it to everyone, including pregnant women and children. Then we kind of forgot because of the fear and, and the mass formation. I think that's another layer to this in terms of the psychological components that go into it by design or by not. And uh, I might have to get my dog here for a second. Um, I might have to get her. You're fine. Hey, pausing the pausing the show. Hey, you're okay. Okay. So hey, you're okay. You're okay. Uh, so, um, but yeah. But the other thing you mentioned too, um, now in the non-barking portion of the the show, the program, is you mentioned how people's perceptions of things. And how you kind of, it gets dumbed down to just one thing. We want to just jump to a conclusion. I think we're trained to do that with those false dichotomies you and I have talked about before, whether it's Republican, Democrat, you know, liberal, conservative, uh, God or science, you know, or you know, that sort of thing, or religion or science. Um, we tend to do that for whatever and all the reasons. And Walter Lippmann was um, apparently a really notable, notable guy in terms of history and also in terms of uh, journalism. And so he was writing some books a little bit later, and this is um, circa 19-teens, 1920s. And one of them, might have it nearby. Let's see if I've got it hanging. Um, not at the moment, but um, I believe it was public opinion. Just straight public opinion, not crystallizing it like Edward Bernays talked about doing, crystallizing the public opinion. But one of the things he talked about, which I thought was just, was brilliant. He said, okay, so you've got the people here and you've got maybe reality. So what's going on in the war, for instance, say it's World War II, World War I, and your concept of what's going on in Germany, what's going on with Hitler, whoever it is. So you've got these two things. And in there, you've got a lot of nuance in between. But what the people see, which I guess I put that one up over here, I can't recall, but regardless, what they see and perceive becomes what we call the pseudo environment. So what people tell them, i.e. media, et cetera, tells them about the environment, then becomes their reality. And so it's basically the place that's in between the two, that pseudo environment, which can be influenced heavily. And when you do that, he was the original one who came up with the idea, supposedly, of stereotypes. So mm -hmm. basically, you get that mental image. So as soon as you hear Germany, as soon as you hear Hitler, whatever it is that's been imprinted in your head, that becomes the thing. And that is kind of what you act upon. And so when you imprint people, you know, one way or another, or it's just natural, with those stereotypes, then they tend to fall into those like very concrete mob mentality type of, of thought processes. And he just kind of defined that space in between and how that can be influenced in that pseudo environment, as he called it. It does. I mean, 
it does just get to higher and like higher level like mastery of society i mean it's pure evil but like you can't help but like admire the thoroughness of the people trying or successfully controlling society you know there's obviously there's always factions whoever you know runs the world isn't a monolith it's always evolving but it's not just control of like economics and academics and and science R&D and military and finance I mean there is control of like how you think like I would love to know we'll never know but I would love to know how I mean you have you know studying like war history right generals or you're learning about different tactics and then how new weapons can change like the the battlefield and sometimes you have to throw old tactics out the windows i mean like in the event of an emp and no satellite you know no satellite gps like you have to throw out your bleeding edge game plans and kind of revert to your what do we do how do we train when we don't have any technology you know there are all these different i guess modes at which you you go into the attack space you got to imagine that whether it's whether it's a top-down control kind of deep state illuminati whatever or if it's just factions of you know nation states going at each other right us versus the communists or whatever pakistan versus india you got to imagine that they are incorporating things like gustav Bond's book into the shaping of media narratives like it's not just it's not as simple as a political ad where you make the other guy look bad. And this advertisement was paid for by Tommy Kerrigan. Dr. Aaron Williams, he's soft on crime. You know, you're just kind of, you're, 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 you're normal mudslinging. You got to imagine that there's some real thought going behind like algorithm tampering and like what you see on your screen. And you won't even know what's happening if you haven't become well-versed in like crowd psychology like you almost have to admire how evil and cunning they are but that that's got to be that's the first thing i thought is like when i finished that book was i just had this mental imagery of like someone at darpa taking the book and like just you know feeding it into a supercomputer and then just being like now control the internet i know it's not that simple but i also don't think it's probably like that far removed like right that's what you would do like i've always said I'm friends with Dale Comstock. He was the youngest ever member of Delta Force, tier one operator. I mean, did personal security for George H.W. Bush and George. I mean, just he is G.I. Joe. And I'm like, man, what what you would do is you'd want to scale. You'd want to scan Dale's brain. And then when you make a thousand robots, you would just want them to all be Dale. Like if you want to control the world, like you would get into these group psychology things and then just have a computer act on. I don't really know where I'm going with this. Bail, bail me out, Aaron. <laughs> no, no, I no, I agree with you. Um, if you think of it in terms of like something that's tangible, as you're saying, I think that's a really great point that you just brought to mind for me. I haven't thought of it in this way. But when you think about whether it's computers um, and the digital age that was pretty well non-existent, you know, 150 years ago, it wasn't existent at all. And a little over 100 years ago, really wasn't existent. But whenever you think about the development that we've had in that, 
So there was obviously reasons that we did it for the betterment of humanity, some people to try to manipulate certain parts of it, you know, all these different things. This has all been happening on just an incredibly rapid scale. When you also talk about the weaponry of war, for instance, this has also gone up a lot. We always had some weapons for thousands of years, but now it's a totally different level. And my son and I were just watching, pulled up some show about this new, these new weapons um, that the military has and how they like shoot down these drones and how, you know, the frequency jammers will jam the drones so then no more signal can be sent. So either it'll have to return to base or it'll just drop. Oh, yeah. You know, all these, all these different things, um, you know, along with more like other firepower, stealth cloaking of, you know, changing yeah. heat signatures to make a tank look like a car, yeah. for instance. Yeah, all make these a cool tank things. look like a Civic, yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's fascinating, and it developed over time. And if you think about that, you take that whole concept of what's happened over the last hundred years or so, and you think about psychological warfare being actual weapons that were tangible, They've been working on these said psychological warfare weapons for about 150 years. Yeah. It is very evident from reading through different parts of history, from reading a book like that, um, that that's what they've been doing. So when it comes to like, hey, I'm going to hand this weapon over to you and we're going to use this here with our group because we're going to try to control this part of a country or this part of an industry or whatever. It doesn't even have to necessarily be bad. But there's very clear evidence that these weapons of psychological warfare have been developed from the ground up and extensively developed and have become very, very powerful and pervasive. And then you, yeah. And then you got to imagine that, because I remember like, I remember watching this documentary from like the 90s about, you know, like a B-52 the you know the old bomber coming into land at some airport he had had to learn had to land at like some civilian airport in germany or whatever and uh they were you know they're kind of telling like the air traffic control like we're coming in and they're like we don't see you and they're like oh sorry and they like flipped off like whatever jammer they were using they're like yeah we only see a cessna and then they're like oh yeah sorry about that and they flipped it off and then they saw the b-52 and they're and that's like a b-52 is like this big slow lumbering like i mean it was brought into service in like korea like these are not these are not new planes like and like that was like an old thing that they just kind of like plugged into this old plane in the 90s so i mean they just what on december 4th i think they will they unveiled the b21 raider the successor to the b2 spirit looks almost the exact same it's the stealth bomber you can't detect it it's i mean it's you look at it, it looks like an alien it looks like an alien craft you can only imagine what i mean most of the stuff on the b2 spirit is still classified and that came out in 1989. And then the stealth bomber before that, the F-117 Nighthawk, there are still things being declassified about that, that even like Air Force uh, fanboys are kind of blown away by. So the point I'm getting at is it's not at all, it's not at all new to understand that, of course, the military is far, far ahead, right? You, uh, in their technology. And that makes sense when you're thinking about metamaterials or hypersonic weapons or spy satellite resolution. Like you kind of, you know, there's probably some form of invisibility cloak. There's, you know, these things we can probably accept, right? If they've identified psychological warfare as a weapon no less powerful than an A bomb, 
you got to imagine that are they 20 years ahead? And at first it kind of sounds silly. You're like, well, it couldn't be because, you know, there's nothing new about, I guess, psychology. Yeah, but then you find out some shit they had in the 90s about a plane and you're like, is that possible? And you're like, yeah, it was just a special access program. You got to wonder what kind of supercomputer, I mean, have they fed it every Freud book, every Lebon book? Have they just, you know, Edward Bernays, have they just pumped it up with just a trillion volts of computing power? It's not even the right measurement, but are they learning like 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 new weapons of deception that we can't even wrap our minds around? Like we think of just basic ones, right? Gaslighting, uh, you know, uh, straw man arguments, you know, Hegelian dialectics. I mean, is there equivalent? Is there an equivalent of the stealth bomber, but for like crowd control? I mean, is it down to like not just have all the news anchors say the same things, but you know? have the camera use this this level of saturation on color because it affects some primal part of our brain you know like a ball seeing red can you add different colors to things that make us subconsciously accept it that we wouldn't even know right we we find out in 50 years like though did you know that the color of tucker carlson's desk was actually a darpa program or some shit like we don't even know you gotta wonder is there some like classified psychology I don't know. It's a, it's a great question. I think that a lot of it, uh, there is probably some that's classified, but apparently it's pretty well known. And, and I can't recall how many agencies there, how many uh, divisions there are, but within the military, there are many, many psychological operations divisions. And, you know, with anything that they use, they're not just doing it on a whim. They're doing it because it's, it's had some element of effectiveness, if not a very large amount of effectiveness. And so whether it's interfering with other countries' um, elections, for instance, by socially engineering their, you know, social um, uh, social apps or whatever I'm trying to say, you know what yeah, I'm yeah, trying yeah, to say, not, yeah. that sort of thing, whether it's dropping pamphlets and doing things like that in terms of um, propaganda spreading, that sort of stuff, you know, that also has been going on for a long time. I mean, that's been going on for well over a thousand, two thousand years even during wartime. So they know that the power of the human mind is a lot more powerful than a lot of the other things. And if you can take someone else's weaponry and you can flip it to your side and they've already done all the, the, uh, all the work to build it, then that's like a double sort of win. And I don't know if you ever played any of those old games with, um, uh, what was it, Age of Empires or something. And you could either try to destroy them. I had to delete them from my computer because it just, I couldn't yeah, stop yeah. playing them. I'm like, oh, after I take over this territory or establish this, then somebody, I'd be in there for like 12 hours. I'm like, okay, I, I, have, I have to do something else. Deleted it from the old school computer. Let's move on. But in there, one of the coolest things was you could have all these different ships and you're going through the different ages, you know, mm -hmm. as you, you civilization, you know. Well, if you had priests and you could then convert ships, you could convert the enemies, anything, basically catapults, any of the things that they were using, you could convert them. And all of a sudden now you've really yeah. kind of turned the tide of a war. So you throw out an army of these priests and then basically all of them are yours. That is kind of like what psychological warfare is to, to some degree that they know that they can really do that. I mean, those units exist for a reason. Um, the things that they do 
And it's so multi-level. The things that you just mentioned are outside of probably 99% of Americans' purview, if I was guessing. You know, gaslighting, what's, what's gaslighting mean? Like, we just kind of take things for granted and we're taught, you know, bell rings, do as you're told, books are correct. Why would you ever question them? Those are the experts, move Trust along, CDC stand. Yeah. Right, so you got the whole thing. But yeah, they've known this for a long time. And that's why like Gustave Le Bon's writing a book about it in 1895. And I'm sure he probably wasn't the first one, but I haven't heard of a lot of great forerunners. But I think they, they knew back then that, hey, if we can get to people's minds, and then as those means of communication then were faster, more pervasive through society, then it's, whoa, okay, hold on. We've really got something we can work with here. And so whether that's just advertising, like, hey, we wanna get our product done. It's a great product, it's gonna help people, or it's something else. They figured out those ways to do it. And you can pretty well clip it through. And so whether you're talking about those news anchors, and apparently, and I haven't looked into this a lot, but I've heard it from actually some people that have worked in PSYOP stuff within the military. They even set like certain frequencies for the different news broadcasts. So, you know, what's going on inaudibly and audibly gets your mind into a different state. Yeah. And so it, it is that pervasive. Not all of it's secret, though. A lot of it you can kind of find. But but there's a whole multi-level bunch of it. So it doesn't have to be just one super weapon. It is kind of the combination of using all of them and being able to also change, say, your um, your strategy as you go along. As you were kind of mentioning, you know, that's what you have to do in any sort of war, using weaponry, strategy, game, whatever. You have to do that. And so you have all those tools, and then you vary it along the way. I've always wondered, like, not even in like the, the kind of the idea of like the subliminal message where you you know flash a frame and it says "kill the president." Like, it kind of seems like old school sci-fi. But yeah, I've always wondered, like, like why wouldn't you? You know, my phone. It's I have it set. It's one of those things, and it's been set this way for you. It's not even new. Where it's like after seven p.m., it starts to like dim the 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 white pixels and kind of make it a little easier on the eyes, a little softer on the eyes. And in the morning, that's why you want like bright lights is sort of wake up. And that's just like a, that's a simple thing. That's just kind of playing with your own circadian rhythm, circadian. But like, yeah, you got to wonder like what else is going on where it has, it's regardless of like what the anchor is saying. I mean, we know little things just like food, right? I mean, that's why they all use red because red's supposed to like simulate or stimulate hunger. How many things are going on all just all around it? Yeah, frequencies, inaudible noises, and then of course there's the you know facial expressions. There's and then there's just sort of the appeal to authority, right? It's it's the fatherly figure wearing a suit tonight at seven. We talk about you know that's why you start to see more and more. Like what I really started to notice more and more during COVID was as you realized they were lying. And then why was it such a shock? And it's because it's, you know, the FDA, the CDC, they come out and they're on the podium and there's the columns around them with the American flag and the Marines. And we are telling you the, and there's so much pomp and circumstance. And if that's just one thing that makes it seem presidential, then then what other things are being framed on TV? What other things are being framed through how you see it on social media? And then, you know, we've talked about just 
when you're alone and you're on your own phone in your apartment and you look at a tweet and it says it's been retweeted 1.5 million times, you don't know that that's, you just assume 1.5, you're like, oh, that's 15 football stadiums. But you don't, what is it really? It's it's pixels on the screen and it says 1.5 M. That's 1.5. That's not looking out your window. And if you see 1.5 million people in the streets, you know, that's 1.5 you know, there's some like primitive, like, oh, Jesus, you know, they're coming to burn the city down. Right. But you see it on your phone. You just look on YouTube and we've all done it. You see a video that you normally wouldn't click on, but it says 200, 200 M, 200 million views. You're like, oh, well, what is this? You got to see what it's about. You don't know that that's really the number. How do you not know that? And then vice versa. You see someone say something that you're like, I do agree with that. You know, fuck this thing or fuck this system. How do you not know it's being artificially reduced to say it has four likes? How do you not know that that doesn't have four million? And yeah, you if 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 it's if it's this effective, if psyops are this effective, and we know that the U.S. military machine skimps on nothing, why wouldn't they? And there are some things we can see, right? We can see the aircraft carriers. You can see the fighter jets around. You know, you see the the motorcade with the president. Those are things you can't hide. Some things are a little more classified, but you can still watch document, you know, nuclear missile silos, whatever. And every once in a while, you see the effect of their power, right? Going and getting bin Laden in the middle of the night using a stealth helicopter. But if we know all these things exist, then why? And you can't see the psychological because there's no they're not going to have a big building that says psychological warfare headquarters. And you're like, wow, look at the size of that base. But you've got to imagine that because not only that, I mean, you talk about zero footprint. Why send Delta Force into another country? You just get in the, the, the you know, the social media app and affect anything and everything. It's got to be so matured already. It probably make your mind spin. Yeah, I would say scientifically you are correct, and it does make. As your a mind doctor, spin. I would say you're accurate, Tommy. <laughs> you know, this isn't my particular area of study, but then again, I don't even think in psychiatry it's really that much about yeah. any sort of psychology, let alone mass psychology. In fact, yeah, if I asked psychiatrists if they ever get any you know any formal study in group psychology i'm going to guess it's little to none yeah you know it's pretty well all individual and so while we have a, a lot of people out there diagnosing individuals mental problems we don't have a specific other than the people who just really pay attention um other than that so like a dismet for instance um other than that we don't really have a class of people out there diagnosing society. You know, society's just told to us that's just the way it is. That's just the way it goes. It just kind of keeps moving in this direction just yeah. because it does. That whole chicken and egg sort of uh, argument, I think, comes back into it. But no, the, the layers and, and everything, they're, they're tight and very well done. And you turned me on to something too, Tommy, that I'll pull this back into our conversation here as well. Because you mentioned when we talked about you know, industry pushing out other industry and in, in the ways in which they do it. Well, the tobacco industry being one, and you mentioned the sugar industry, and I was like, what? I hadn't oh, yeah. maybe heard much about it. So I've got now at least a few books on it. I, I've dug into it a good clip. 
And, you know, they all did very well. Radium was another one back in the day, but they all did very well. And they did a lot of those same, uh, same tactics. They learned what convinced people and what was able to bring things. So if you go back to Gustav Le Bon's book, you talk about one of the main things that you had to have in order for people in a crowd to believe you was prestige. Mm -hmm. He used it multiple, he used this theme multiple times in that book. If you had prestige, then people just, they didn't really want to spend that much time thinking, especially if it was a crowd. So yeah. if they're in the crowd mentality, like prestige said it, you know, uh, Trump says it, Obama says it, you know, whoever says it, uh, the CDC says it, that's, that's the way it is. So they utilize that. They said, well, this vehicle exists in human psychology in order to affect it. So let's go take the wheel. And so then they pay off the Harvard docs and whoever to basically say, no, 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 it's fats in the artery. It must be fat that's going in there. Makes sense, right? Which a lot of things do work like that, you know, that are common sense. That said, if you have other ways in which fat is developed, especially by taking a whole lot of sugar and that's converted in your liver, into said cholesterol, et cetera, and triglycerides and what have you, then, and, and I didn't go through all that exactly, so not scientific on that, but sure. generally speaking, um, those sorts of things um, can be used then to just gloss over the public. Um, they're like, yeah, they want a simple answer. I'm gonna give them a simple answer. It's gonna have Harvard name stamped on it. And nobody's gonna listen to all this one or two doctors who will also smear um, you know, uh, go after their credentials, say that, you know, somebody's funding them while we're actually funding people. And we'll blare that across all media and news and get a couple other prominent people who have prestige, who people trust to say the same thing, Fauci, whoever it is. The same pattern, they figured out what this weapon and vehicle looks like, and they just repeat it. But you're never told anywhere that this stuff exists. So you, you're assuming the best of humanity. You're assuming, you know, one of those um, uh, those pretenses that we use is that, um, you know, the just the just um, oh gosh, the, the just cause, just humanity. I'm forgetting the name of it. Basically, another one of those psychological biases you have. Like, I want to believe the world's just, too. In fact, I did like entirely way too much, you know, and when I, I'm wanting to look back into some history textbooks, for instance, and especially the newer ones that kids are learning now, is I didn't know what a false flag, I'd never heard of what a false flag was. I was like, is that somebody fake painted a flag and put their own up that wasn't official? Like what, what in the world is that? But it has played a really important part in human history, let alone recent human history, but none of that is in there. So if you don't know it's there, you never know to look for it. So if you don't know psychological warfare exists and that it's pervasive and that it's been utilized over and over and over again, and here's the patterns, you never know to look for them. You just go with your personal biases you've been imprinted with, authority, it's a just world, it really can't be that bad. You know, it can't be that bad as you say, so I'm just gonna wash my hands of it and take, take my shots, for instance. That's where people land and that's how it works. And it's... Yeah, there's no one, there's no one there to like, it's it's not a class where you go and you start to understand calculus or organic chemistry and the professor who understands it is like, correct, you're now understanding it and you get the good grade and you get a confirmation that you're figuring it out, right? Or you get better at a sport and you start scoring higher and you can 
see the points on the scoreboard and you're like, I am a better player. There's no one to like, there's no one to confirm it because you're not taught it. Right? Just like you're not taught about the 1933 business plot in the United States for like the DuPonts and the Revingtons wanted to pay off a former kind of like the general Mattis of his day, general Smedley Butler, 30 years prior to Eisenhower. They wanted to pay him like 10 million bucks in 1933 dollars to go take a bunch of uh, disgruntled World War One veterans and overthrow the White House and remove FDR. And like, that's not, and this one, all this is the most decorated Marine of all, the, the only, I think he had two medal, medals of honor while still alive. Like General Smedley Butler, he wrote the book War is a Racket. And he was, there are all these, there's called the, there's called the Bonus Army. It was a bunch of veterans from World War One who were promised, right, bonuses. I can send you the book. And, um, We'll look it up. It was 1933 and they still hadn't been paid. So it'd been like 14 years since the end of the war. And they were all angry. And so they were out on like the mall in Washington, DC. And they were out there and giving speeches and stuff. And Spedley Butler was like, he was like the soldier's soldier. He was one of them. He had risen through the ranks. He wasn't some elitist. He had risen through the ranks from like an enlistee to like the highest level. And, um, they all wanted to, they wanted their money. And then he was approached by these guys that uh, at first, Smelly Butler was such a badass. He sniffed them out right away. These guys approached him, these like two wealthy guys who were both Marines. So they kind of had an in with Smedley because he always had a soft spot for Marines. And uh, these two guys that approached him were actual veterans with actual like, you know, scars from World War One. So he gave them the time of day. But from the get-go, he kind of sniffed them out. He just he from he said like from the first meeting, he knew something was up, and they were like, "What we want to do is, you know, we really want these soldiers to go get their bonus, and like we represent like wealthy." And right there, Smedley was kind of like, "Well, no, if you were one of these guys, you'd be out there protesting." Instead, they're rolling up in like a private car. They had taken like a private train down to see him, which just that's like flying in on a private jet. If you do that in 1933, that's that's big dick money. And um, Smedley being a badass just went along with it and was like, tell me more. And they eventually were like, uh, yeah, we want to do this. And this might result in us, you know, removing FDR from the presidency. What they actually wanted was it was a consortium of the wealthiest people in America. They want to remove FDR or make him a figurehead and make Smedley the king of America. And they would run a, a... kind of a fascist junta from D.C. and control the United States, and they wanted to return the dollar to gold-backed currency, which I don't even kind of really disagree with, which is kind of a bad part. You're like, oh, are they that evil? But they wanted to overthrow a duly elected president, so I guess that's no good. And um, Smedley sniffed them out, figured it all out, and was kind of basically like, go fuck yourself, I'm an American, went and testified before the Senate on Un-American Activities. And they were like, yeah, it seems like it's a probable conspiracy theory, and then just... Nothing happened, and Smelly was like, what the fuck? Just, like, I think he just had enough and went and, like, retired to the countryside. But, like, in 1933, there was, it's called the business plot. The wealthiest people in America want to overthrow the president, make a military leader the king, and turn America into a fascist military junta. And then 30 years later, Eisenhower, who's really Smedley Butler 2.0, kind of gives the same speech. He's like, hey, there's an unelected machine in the darkness. 
And then, as if the first two weren't enough, a third guy comes along named JFK. And he's like, yeah, we're not going to do this uh, never-ending war escalation. And they blow his head off. So, like, you don't learn about the most intense American history I had never heard of. I think I heard about it through Joe Rogan in, like, 2010. And I was like, this is bullshit. No, this can't be true. But there it is. That would be like, that would be like if General Mattis, former Secretary of Defense under Trump, got on whatever, like Instagram Live, and was like, I've been approached by Elon Musk, Jeffrey Bezos, Bill Gates, and George Soros, and they offered me a trillion dollars to overthrow the president. And we were all like, huh, all right. But like that happened, and we're not ever taught about it. And so, The point of me saying all this is like, it's hard to wake up to it when there's no one to confirm it. There's no one to say, oh, correct. You've passed the test. You've understood about the business plot. We are under these like mass spells that you can never know you've gotten out of because no one else even knows they're in them. I don't know if this whole rant has made any sense or if I've kind of, if I've kind of put into words what I was thinking. No, makes perfect sense. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, you can't diagnose a problem unless you know you've got one. You stand around wandering and confused and nothing ever makes sense, but you have no idea about what to look for first. So you don't know what direction to look. Even if you have some inkling, you hardly know where to find any information because as soon as you go to all the information that you've been told to go to, go to Google, go to this, that, the other, go to DuckDuckGo. It has the same search results, by the way, um, pretty well the same, like the, the suggestions pop up the same, that brave, it's pretty well all the same. So, you know, again, psychological warfare, they've kind of figured this out, like people are going to look for an alternative when they realize whatever. So we'll have the alternative waiting, we'll fund both sides of each war, and then we always win. We'll fund, you know, we'll have two candidates that we both have, you know, that owe us, both of them will say, you know, uh, going into a presidential election, for instance. When they've been thinking about it for 150 years or more, they've been able to figure this out. And But if you don't know there's a game, you don't know how to play it. You don't know you're being played. And it's a really uncomfortable thought to think that there's a very large game going on around you all the time from the time you were born until the present day when you just flipped on the TV. And that there's a good amount, not all. There's always got to be truth in any scam, like for it to work well. There's always truth, but pervasively, scams are in pretty well every element of our society. I don't, without thinking too hard on it, um, whether you're talking about, you know, money, whether you're talking about government, whether you're talking about social media, whether you're talking, it doesn't really matter what you're talking about, science, um, medicine, it doesn't matter what it is, sports, there's gamesmanship in in all of it so no i get exactly what you're saying and it is hard to it's such an uncomfortable thought especially when you're patted on the back all the time look you got a good grade in school look you got a's you got a's you got a's oh they're the smart ones so you Mm -hmm. give prestige now also largely not that people aren't smart who get good grades there's you know but there's a difference between getting a good grade in a government slash compulsory we might call it school 
versus actually having intelligence to be able to figure things out and have that critical thinking skills that, that you're referring to. Because I can't say I had that much. I just kind of had some, well, that doesn't make much sense to me, but I had no time to follow up on anything, right? So it didn't really matter that I had some vague thought that, well, this looks really strange. Um, that doesn't seem logical, but everybody believes that, okay, I guess I'll just not raise a stink because what would I do with it? I have no idea. I didn't know where to look. I didn't know that such thing as a false flag existed. Like if all of humanity knew about, say, false flags, for instance, before one comes up. And so whether or not 9-11 was or wasn't, a, you know, a coordinated attack. If you had all of the public schools had taught people about the history of false flags, how many people would have went and tried to dive into that and figure that out? Yeah. More more than what did, right? There would have been many, many, many. There would have been so many calls that, but that's the power of that that psychology across a, a mass amount of people. You know, you have plenty of people, and whether truthers or whatever you want to call it, that were going on that I wasn't paying attention to at the time, but even still to this day. So there's a fair number. But when you talk about like 2% or 4% or something versus 60%, there's a whole different outcome and what kind of an investigation you put forth, what things you allow to come across the news that say, oh, well, really, it was just uh, like this and uh, $3 trillion missing the day before, or that was just coincidence and yada, yada, yada. And you just move on. Yeah. There's a whole lot of difference in what society will let you get away with, depending on the percentage that actually knows to look. There is something to look for, for instance. Yeah, and then it's like... Do you even want to pursue this stuff? Like, I think ultimately, like, you, I mean, ultimately, like, you have to. There's like a deeply, like, moral, ethical kind of pursuit of the truth. And you're like, I can't, that's the thing is you can't, like, you can't willingly go back to sleep. Like, you can, you can kind of doze off again, but like, you can't go back to sleep. So I guess you don't really have a choice once you start, and I, and I hate the term, but for lack of a better one, once you start to wake up, you can't go back to sleep and like i mean this like half satirically and half not but like like is there even like a value to waking up like what what, what good does i mean like i think about like what i'm doing now and like on top of just trying to like produce good content and have good guests like if all of this is true like what in god's name am i going up against <laughs> like just to try to turn this into a, a, a profitable business, just enough to like pay for my rent. Like, could I have chosen a more vertical cliff face to try to climb than like <laughs> go up against big tech DARPA algorithms? Like, and discuss things with you and Dr. Malone. And like, what am I? Could I have chosen a more difficult path? I don't think I could have. It's dawning oh. on me more and more. Like, do I? Um, am I even it, fully aware of what I'm up against? No, I, I think that I think that point stands, but it also <laughs> um, is is taken by the fact that so much of it is in the mind. So when you're coming, a, when you're transmitting what you're transmitting to people, and all the messages that that you and your guests and everybody are getting out there, it makes a huge dent because ultimately this really isn't at the end of the day, 
it's not as much about the algorithm. It's not as much about um, what kind of weapons of warfare we have. It's more about the minds of the people. What are they going to allow? What are they going to support? You have your Reichstag fire, which was or wasn't set by the Nazis themselves and that sort of stuff. And now all of a sudden the public is now eager to go invade Poland because they're coming after us, right? That mentality and the mindset. So it's not, you're not going up against a tank. Um, you are going up against tech, um, you know, in many ways. That said, not every platform has been totally yanked, um, in, which is why you're able to put out your content on different platforms and do great with it. And a lot of other people are. So, no, I think that it is more than worth it, in fact, because, you know, if you were to be spending your time actually developing a physical weapon, um, you know, some sort of physical weapon, I'm not, I've never really dreamed this up. So I won't say what, I'll just say, you know, you're, you're, that's what you want to do. And you want to, you know, I don't know, put together a, a bunch of these weapons and then go after whoever you imagine to be perceived to be the people doing bad things. Sure. Well, you're going to get washed out. If nothing else, the first time somebody hears about it and they locked you up, then they're going to say, oh, that person was a danger to our society and to my mentality. They should be punished, put away, put down, put to sleep, whatever it is that the punishment is to do to you. Right. And it's all based upon the mind of what people perceive of what you're doing. Whereas when you're doing something peacefully and you're actually working on the root of the problem, which is the mind, you're going to get a whole lot farther. So you can't let it ever be. And obviously you're still going on. You're is this episode thousand and how many now? This is a thousand thirty. There you go. Thousand and thirty, and you're still trucking through a lot of things that are disconcerting. Um, to things that are sometimes, you know, frankly, kind of frightening and scary in some ways, but you're still trekking along. And so, no, I think you're, it is a big wall, but you're a tough, courageous guy. And that's why you're here. And that's why I, one of the many reasons I appreciate you, Tommy. Thank you, sir. Yeah, I was kind of, was kind of having that realization like two nights ago. I was literally just laying in bed, staring at the ceiling, just going, what the fuck am I doing? Like, what in... What in God's name am I like before the last month or so, I thought I was just going up against a very biased big tech. And and now I know I'm going up against big tech being used as a puppet by the literal national security apparatus of the United States. And there is just sort of like, I mean, I know it's the right thing to do. And because of that, like I have to keep going for it. Plus I just like it. I like talking to people. But it's just, it's almost like laughable. You just, it's like, it's not even that you're like facing down a dragon. It's like you're exhausted because you just climbed to the top of a mountain and then there's a dragon and, and the dragon's wearing armor. And you just, at some point, you just kind of start laughing. You're like, what am I doing? Like, what am I, I mean, like, like Rogan barely got out of their like, out of their like crosshairs like they're going full bore on elon musk i'm like am i just delusional thinking that like i'm gonna win is it i don't know maybe i'm throwing myself a pity party no i don't i don't think you're delusional at all and, and i think individually when we and it's not that you individually think you're just the the only insult one but when we think about it from an individual perspective, it definitely 
um, you're less likely to have success in a way that, you know, the more you get out there, the more they are to attack you and potentially cancel you in the minds of the people. Like, so even if they don't cancel you off a platform, can they cancel you in the minds of the people, which is the most important. But when you get up there to the top of that, that summit and you're, and you're seeing that dragon and all the armor, but then when you kind of realize that there's an underbelly there and that the whole dragon's made of paper mache, yeah. um, you realize one flaming arrow to the right spot and then, you know, or you get everybody who's down, you know, on the, on the second level below the summit to shoot some fire arrows up the belly and then it's all done. Um, and what looked terrifying and menacing and he owns this mountain and, you know, kills everyone up here. Well, usually does when it's one-on-one, but when you get past that, and just to play off your analogy for a bit, um, that's, that's what it ends up being really. When you understand, I mean, it's, it's almost like coming up with diagnosis. I have far from all the answers by any stretch, but getting a little more clear picture as time goes on. But it's almost like, you know, whether you're a mechanic, you have to understand how the car works in order to diagnose what's wrong with it and then to fix it and or make improvements on it. And the human body and being a physician, it's the same way. You just have to understand it. And sometimes that process is painstaking and laborious depending on what it is, what area of study it is. It's a lot harder when it's this nebulous thing you're talking about learning about whether it's psychological warfare or historical things and things that aren't in front of you, things that don't engage the hands and take a lot more energy to actually process and go through and learn. Um, but when you go through that process, that's where then you can figure out, okay, well, here's how I'm not tricked next time. Yeah. Here's how I work my way around. Oh, my baseline assumption is that I live paycheck to paycheck and if I don't do that and, and, you know, compete with everybody and nobody will think, oh, wait a minute, that's all just sham. None of that matters. I should actually do what they didn't teach us to in school. We should all have a three or six month emergency fund in case something happens that you can't predict emergencies. So hence by their very nature, then you start to be able to take control back your life because you're not constantly just like let around all day and every day. And this is myself included. I'm not, I'm not throwing any stones from my glass house. And every time like you tell me something new or somebody else tells me something new, I look into and go, that looks pretty solid. At least most of it, even if they threw a little bit of, you know, crazy over here with it to paint over a whole movement or whatever it is, uh, disinformation, blah, blah. But regardless, every single thing you learn makes you feel a little bit better about not having to play the same game that you've been playing your whole life. So it's worthwhile work. It, it doesn't, it is painful. You know, it's painful going through medical school. Yeah. It's painful doing a lot of different careers, trades, degrees, whatever it is, manual labor jobs. I've done those too. Best. They're painful, but you get good things accomplished. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, I know it's the right thing to do. I think it's just intimidating not to again not to woe is me but it's okay anesthesia was very intimidating until i learned how what to do what not to do and what yeah. happens when you do everything right and something goes wrong anyway how to figure it out and then how to go about it it's it's all just the exact same thing but just in a different context and you know the next book if you if you look at i don't know if you've ever got a chance to read the propaganda book by uh edward bernays no, no i need to that's another fantastic follow-up book. Um, the public opinion book, I've only gotten through a little bit of it. It's dense. 
And it's like, you have to sit and think hard about each and everything. The language is very, um, very stout. <laughs> like I'm sitting here going, okay, hold on. What is this word? <laughs> Occasionally I'll even find one I don't know, but just trying to put together all of the thoughts amongst a litany of words that we don't use that commonly anymore is pretty intimidating as well. But with, um, with propaganda, for instance, and crystallizing public opinion, which you can also do on audiobook, both of those are pretty easy reads. And as soon as you realize it, you're just like, oh, that's interesting. So wait a minute, we took everything. So wait, Walter Lippmann, did you say Walter Lippmann, the same guy who was the head of the CPI, the Committee of Public Information for getting us into World War I, like after um, Wilson had gotten reelected based on being the peace president? And then immediately they turned it around and wanted to generate public support for said World War I. How do you get all of America's you know, parents to send their sons off to war in a foreign land when we've been heavily isolationist for some time? Like, let them deal with their own wars. We don't want wars. We've been through that. We want peace and prosperity. We don't want all these other crazy things going on. Let them handle it themselves. We'll deal with it, it comes to our shores. Well, you had to do a lot. So hence the Committee on Public Information, which was basically propaganda. And who else worked with them? None other than Edward Bernays. So when they figured all this stuff out and they figured out the posters and the drives and we get Charlie Chapman, uh, Chaplin, excuse me, Charlie Chaplin to come to New York City and to do a big drive and a big fundraising presser to, to get people to donate, to buy war bonds for the war effort. And they did indeed have kind of a Hitler back then. If you look at the old war propaganda posters back then, they had the Kaiser some big ape and maybe he had horns sometimes and he was grabbing like America or some representation of America or whatever it was or some woman and carrying her off and doing all these things and it was all like fear 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 guilt are you not going to take care of the women and children in Europe they're going to come here and be it all of that so they figured that out back then and so, and that was built off of these things like Laban had been doing, but now they had the means of mass communication more readily available. I mean, back in the day before the, the radio and all that stuff, you know, this is pre-World War I, then it was basically people read the paper like twice a day. Like they'd sit down and read the paper like all the time. Like that was a regular thing. People were getting information, learning information, and we were a well-educated society, which is why through the 1800s, we really... Um, we really did good with keeping a relatively limited government. You know, we really did good not letting the Constitution be morphed into this three-letter figurehead bureaucracy monster thing that we have now, unelected officials making de facto laws, essentially, right? Um, so violations that are punishable by, you know, whatever, um, as crimes. We did a good job because people were really well-informed. But as soon as they realize we've got these tools, oh, we can kind of get everybody to support our war effort. And then they'll buy the war bonds and refill the war chests. Oh, and now we've got, you know, we can have whatever the banking, I don't know much the banking interest, they had some play. But that's, I mean, that's how they did it. And then they worked with, in fact, they, um, before World War I, uh, I haven't sourced it out fully, but it was sourced. Um, they went to, I think it was JP Morgan and company went to, 20, uh, they went to about 12 or so different newspaper people 
um, in say 1915 circa. And they went there and they found them and they said, okay, what do we need to do in order to be able to really influence public opinion? How many of the newspapers do we need to be able to work with to make sure that our messages come across and we really get the things we need to get done done to help the world? And they said, it's about 25. So they worked with those 25 different newspapers and all of a sudden, you get essentially the precursor to Mockingbird, you know, Project Mockingbird, Mockingbird Media. And they had that back then. So, and this is, you know, supposedly well-documented and I think it's probably not that hard to find. It just, there's only so many hours in a day, but yeah, they, they had it then. And so when you see it and you're like, oh, okay. And so then it was, it was easy. The rest of it from there was pretty easy for them. They're like, humans work like this. Now we can inundate them with, with facts all day and uh, let's get ever the more crafty when we do it. And yeah, it's, it's actually quite a, it's kind of fun. It's kind of interesting. It's quite clever. But when you've been practicing so, anything so long, of course, you're going to get good at it. You're just going to get good if you've been driving to try to figure out something for decades, right? It doesn't matter whether you're talking about, you know, new forms of batteries or uh, electric vehicles or whatever it is. You're going to get there over a period of decades of persistence. So let alone if you have a lot of financial interests of whatever industry, you know, backing you, then you've got a lot more ability. You can go fund your studies, you know, from well-meaning people, and then you can kind of roll along. But, you know, again, the, the bad parts of it are a house of cards, because most of the people that are involved in any of this, they don't know. So you're just isolated. You're the person making the little part for some secret project you don't know about, and it's going over there, and you're helping the, the war effort, for instance, you know? So it's, it's all there. There's no doubt about it, but it's, um, it's fun rolling through history. You just you have to take that same sort of mindset that we've talked about outside of the broadcast too, just kind of put that all in a box. And you're like, wow, okay. <laughs> There's a lot going on over here. And today it's a bit daunting, but I can take a deep breath and, you know, I kind of continue to roll on, you know, as you were, you were telling me that kind of thing. God, it's daunting. <laughs> especially when like the more you look into it and you keep thinking you're getting closer to the genesis and then you realize well no then this happened 20 years before that and you're like oh all right so you'll learn about that and it's like and then this happened 20 years before and you're like oh god it is <laughs> i used to think it had all started around like the time kennedy was whacked and then i'm realizing like no like double that amount of time easy and it's just, yeah, it's daunting. It's In just, some ways, it's good. Because if they were able to come up with, let's say whatever it is, if they were able to come up with that within a period of weeks and pull that over on everybody, gosh, if they had a few years to plan. So let's say this right. whole COVID thing, right? Oh, gosh, what are they going to come at us with next when we're not ready? When you realize that just our baseline assumptions are off, and when you figure out those baseline assumptions, um, the real ones that we should have had, then all of a sudden things fall into place and it becomes a lot easier to handle. Um, I, I don't recall seeing much propaganda before. I mean, they had some, but there were usually like papers going against each other. So say like leading up to the Civil War, there were like they were really going after the Republicans or the Whig Party or the Democrats going after them real hard, but you had opposing viewpoints kind of using the same sort of just general, just general attacks. Like if you're in the debate club, you just kind of subconsciously figure those out. 
But until you started to get a consolidation, that's I think where then you can kind of push that eventually happened. Um, but again, it's not that hard to reverse once people are under, aware that it's out there. Um, you, you know, when people find out, for instance, um, you know, say like you said about um, the 1933, the business plot, for instance, or you realize that, oh yeah, um, there was actually a group that was, was planning to take over DC in 1861 um, prior to Lincoln rolling onto the scene or like as he rolled onto the scene, either assassination and or whatever. Oh, okay. So wait a minute, I do need to look past my history book. I do need to look past that baseline assumption I had that, oh, these are all just like, I know everything there is to know about history, anything important anyway, anything worth knowing. And then as soon as that happens, you open up a whole different world of possibilities for people. And so each and every one of these things you bring up on your, your podcast that you enlighten me with or your audience with, it takes you a lot further into a place because most, the vast majority of people out there are good and trying to do good things. You really are. You really, really, really are. And you look through history and you're like, oh, and these people stood up to it, but then nobody believed that they got whacked <laughs> because of whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I mean, hell, the CIA, to go back to your, your reference, the CIA had problems um, with them not, like was 60% or so of the American public believed that they were somehow involved and that it was not a lone shooter. Most people didn't buy that back then. Yeah. That's why they came out with the whole countering commission of the Warren report in 1968. Like how do we kind of get people? And that was basically where the, we're going to paint people as conspiracy theorists, that whole like idea. And it worked still works to this day, less and less, but, but yeah, that's how they came up with it because it really wasn't working that well. And so they, they moved it. They've moved that bar a lot more than that 60% now, but we're coming back up. We're coming back up for sure. I mean, the fact that, I mean, all the people you have as guest list, uh, I would have never imagined. I would never imagine there was a whole medical underground. I mean, I went to, you know, I, I get involved with a certain group of physicians and, uh, and there's multiple groups that I'm involved with. But whenever I got involved with them, I realized, wow, there's all kinds of other things out here that are possible and that we're doing. And I was like blown away, fully blown away. I was like, there's other treatments for treating some of these diseases that I don't know about and that physicians everywhere across the country are doing and that you can access and that are working better or at least as a really amazing adjunct to quote unquote conventional medicine. It, it kind of blew my mind. It still throws me off a bit, but whenever somebody says, oh, well, we had this cancer diagnosis today, I'm looking through, finding information. I've got books sitting on my bookshelf regarding other ways, adjuncts and things to use for cancer now. So, and some stories that were resoundingly successful, far better than you ever usually hear in conventional medicine. You know, those would be the quote unquote miracles. Um, and some of these people don't tell their conventional docs because they know that they would like, you know, freak out on them if they heard they were doing something alternative mm -hmm. aside from their plan of surgery and chemo and radiation. So then the docs walk away thinking it was just this random miracle, mm -hmm. but really they were doing alternatives with it. Many stories like that. So <laughs> there's, there's so many good things, but you can't fix a problem until you know what it is. Yeah. Um, you're, you're we're all getting there. I mean, you threw me off the sugar thing. I was like, 
and I was I was reading about how they used the dock for Lyndon Johnson. I think it was to basically go out and make a huge statement. I think after he, I, forget, I think it was that president, but it was one of the presidents, came out and basically said he was just well respected, and he was like the White House physician. Maybe he was a Surgeon General also. And he rolls out and he says, "We're going to have a war on fats, fats that have caused this heart attack for the president, and the American public needs to." It's just so yeah. It's so rotten <laughs> to the core. It is. But it's a pretty pattern, man. Yeah. But is No, and I mean, there's no other alternative. Like, once you become aware of it, like, you have to keep going. You have to keep digging. You know what? We got people back on Twitter. We've got, you Dr. know, at least for now. Dr. McCullough are back on. I'm still banned, but... <laughs> Well, hopefully you'll be you'll be soon uh, to be back on there. And I never really put anything on there. I got banned, and I wasn't even. I don't think I'd ever even made a comment. I just had an account to like look around. But apparently, oh, I followed man. the wrong people. Oh, God. So I got I got pulled out in the big purge as well in twenty one. But but there's good things happening. The uptake on the um, the bivalence is like six, twelve percent, something like that. You got more and more people going, hey, you know what? This doesn't seem to be as good as what it was billed. Like we're having a whole different conversation now than we were before. And it's really, really doesn't make sense now, let alone 95% effective. And if you get your shot, you will not get COVID, right? That was coming through all the airways. These people are waking up. There's tons of people looking for alternative ways to do things and, and less people like, you know, being a part of the herd every day, um, you know? we're getting there. there. There's no doubt about it, Tommy. You've helped me grow a lot. Um, the people that I met that, that, uh, you know, it was Dr. McCullough who, who actually referred me to you back in the day. All of these things like propagate upon themselves and more and more good is coming out by the day. And so every other doc that finds out about this network of people, you know, adding other therapies and people are doing better with it. More and more people get to this. The more and more people go out and look, more people find just it's a it's a good cycle. We're either cycling one way or the other, but we're cycling in a good way now. Yeah. Um, the people are going in the right direction. The institutions, I mean, yeah, I I won't go into that one. Uh, some of the institutions are getting better, but it's more really about the people. We don't have to fix the entire structure of government. We don't have to fix the entirety of the American Medical Association. We don't have to fix the entirety of Twitter is a little bit different because you got to have, you know, that's just purely from afar. But most of the things in our society, we don't need um, to have those all like get every single politician in that you or, you know, somebody else wants on one side or the other to make things better. All, all illusion. You don't need it. You just need people to know, which is what you're in the business of doing is helping them to know and every time we all grow a little bit more, we we put on a little thicker skin every single time, um, and then we're ready for for the next battle. And we don't have to go through the the pain of falling for said next <laughs> deception. I mean, the fact that I didn't get my shots, like I'm so grateful for. But I was telling people in the fall of 20, I was like, well, I mean, just because they maybe cut some administrative red tape, they were like, oh, I think the shots are bad. And I was like. I mean, if they go through the process and the FDA, I mean, surely can't be that bad. I mean, I think, but luckily enough things happened to where I woke up and said, yeah, 
I, I don't trust this even a little bit because this is way too up. I don't know why. It scares me. It freaking frightens me. I have no idea. And I have no idea why no one will listen to me initially, at least, you know, officials and, and such only listen to a degree. But um, but but I'm thankful and grateful. I mean, and while it's a weird headspace to live in, um, it's it's a lot better having clarity, uh, being able to help your family. When they call you and, and, and they say, Tommy, should I get my bivalent booster? You know, I, I think I'm going to get it, but I wasn't sure. I know you kind of know a little bit. You'd be like, yeah, I've talked to Dr. McCullough and Dr. Malone and, you know, a, a bunch of other scientists. And they're saying it's really like this in yeah. favor of you not getting it. This is the kind of push. Yeah. I think I'm just trying to remember that it's a it's a marathon just take a, like a little bit at a time and i think over the last couple of days it's it's happened before at this podcast i mean it's over three years old now but i just i kind of hit these spots where i'm like i don't how the hell am i going to keep doing this i'm like well you got into this point by just doing one or two episodes a day a couple of days in a row and then taking a day off just keep doing like it didn't I didn't do a thousand episodes in a day. And that's what I have to kind of keep reminding myself is when, you know, I kind of hit these moments of just like rubbing my head. Like, what am I doing? Take a break, take a day off, play some video games, go play age of empires, go do whatever, and then get back to it. And yeah, it's not all going to be fixed in a day. I think that's why I just got to remind myself. I think I just hit these moments of, exhaustion like mental burnout anger anger that it's that my podcast hasn't succeeded more but yeah i don't know i guess you're, steps. You're, yeah you're not the only one and i mean it's, i have to remind myself right the lights should have been everywhere a year ago we'd be out of this mess not that there wouldn't be any disease, but we would be out of this overall overarching mess. So whether it's the virus spreading, whether it is the fear that comes along with it, it would be way better, way better. No matter how you play with numbers, people know that, oh, I'm not really getting sick. I haven't gotten a cold. I haven't gotten whatever since, you know, we put these in all over our town and in the, the restaurants and the grocery stores and the whatever and schools. That would be way better. And so, you know, while I've compiled 250 or more pages worth of research, I've done thousands of hours worth of work, nothing that I've ever gotten paid a cent for, not one. And I've lost many um, over, uh, you know, in resigning my position, all these different things. I get that same frustration at times. And, and I have to just sit and remind myself, okay, you're still a lot farther than you were before, Tommy. You've got... You know, I've done over a thousand podcasts. I've now been able to, to interview and have these, this amazing information I've put out to thousands upon thousands upon, you know, cumulatively hundreds of thousands of people over time. And, and, and slowly but surely, you reach that point where it blows up more. And that's what I'm kind of working on, waiting on with the light too. And, and from a lot of different perspectives, uh, I can't tell you how many I've tried um, a lot. And I've tried a lot that didn't work. Um, I've tried some that, you know, worked 
marginally and some that work pretty well. But then you get to it and I get this close on getting another huge thing and all of a sudden it falls off. Somebody got way too busy with some other aspect of life and now all of a sudden that initiative went down. Oh, you call and you try to say, you know, somebody wants them to put them in this installation somewhere. Then all of a sudden the ability to at least the knowledge to get to that funding is not there. And, you know, you're trying to get these pieces put together, but you don't control an industry. It gets frustrating, too. I share that frustration with you at times. Um, actually, a lot of times. I probably had a little bit of those feelings today, even. Uh, in fact, I did. But I kind of take a deep breath and I go, yep, you're right. Rome wasn't built in a day. Um, the journey of what 10,000 miles begins with a single step. Um, and that pretty well everything you see on TV is some great big crowning achievement happened through many days, many hardships. The Wright brothers, they were never even supposed to be the ones that were going to do that. There was some other guy, um, Langley, John Pierpont Langley. Uh, Langley, like if you think of the government type stuff, that was him. Smithsonian, whatever. He got all the press. He was going to be the one to make man-made, you know, man-powered flight happen didn't happen. The guys who would take along five extra sets of parts because they knew they were probably going to crash and burn four to five times before they hardly left the ground that day. And they did that for years on end. Those are the guys who finally flew. They did it on a shoestring budget. Mm -hmm. They did it with nothing. They didn't have money coming from the government or from Harvard. They didn't have any of that stuff. And eventually they ended up being the ones that did it because they had the heart, their heart was in the right place. They weren't doing it for publicity. They were doing it to help humanity. So if we can get things and move them like this, we can use the air to deliver things and to, to transport people. Wow, this would be incredible. And that drove them. And I'm sure they had plenty of shitty days. <laughs> like you have like a lot of people in this truth movement, we'll call it have, but every day you're getting farther. Every day you're getting better. And you're helping me. I mean, the sugar thing helped me a ton in a whole lot of different branch points. When I'm looking at what industry can do, whether it's like what they may or may not do in the future, I know the playbook now. And I know it wasn't just tobacco. Well, it's tobacco. No, no, sugar, tobacco, radium, go down the list. Now I've, I've seen it because you helped turn me on to that information that, I mean, there, there's so much information out there. But every day, you know, you don't even, there's so many things you've turned me on to that, that have really helped in my understanding of what's going on and also just what I'm trying to accomplish generally. And I think a lot of those building blocks, I still haven't fully utilized yet, but I, but I, I plan to, but they're there and I'm still feeling it big time from a month ago. Um, I had the sugar stuff up. I've got two sugar books right there. I have had multiple, you know, hit piece articles, who funded them. Oh, here's how the lattice work. But there's a lot of good things happening. It, it is hard not to get, uh, get frustrated, but there's nothing, nothing. I can't imagine one single solitary thing. There's some like scientific accidents. That said, that was usually through somebody working on something and finding something while they were doing a lot of work on something else. Nothing really amazing has ever happened without plenty of failure, frustration, and a lot of 
long and persistent hard work. Mm. It's just, it's always going to be this way. Always. I have to remind myself of that. (laughs) And I've done it multiple times. Then you study the history and you're like, oh, okay. That's how the Wright brothers did it. That's how any of these people finally broke through um, becoming presidents, getting to the top of the military and helping to guide the military uh, through some battles. They all did it with their share of failures along the way. Thomas Edison and the light bulb improvement, 10,000 fails. The Dyson vacuum cleaner guy, he had 2,500 roughly failures before he finally got it right. It's always this way. And you keep that in perspective. That's what keeps me going. Because if I just looked at it from the outside world perspective, I'd be like, what the hell am I doing with my life? I resigned from my position. I, you know, I, I've taken this position outside of the mainstream so hard that been alienated by most, most, you know, it, it would crush me, but I keep that focus on the fact that you're ever trying to, trying to do anything special. It's going to be hard. It's going to be frustrating. If it was easy, somebody else would have already done it. And so it, it's still worthwhile. It's still something that we keep plugging away at every day. And may it's, whether it's I do 30 minutes on one aspect I've been neglecting for a while, and I'm just like, every day I got to do 30 minutes on this project, 30 minutes on this one, an hour on this one. That's going to be my new thing. Um, whatever it is, I, I just have to get it done. But I know that it has to be this way. It was never going to be any way other than this. And that doesn't mean I'm not going to get accomplished what I want to get accomplished with the light, for instance. Could be you could be you know one or two days away from you know a million subscribers with just one or two interviews that come out and all of a sudden boom this happens and that's the same thing I'm hoping for with the light and you know it, that kind of keeps me kind of keeps me moving on. I appreciate that much needed pep talk. I'll I'll Venmo you for your services for your free therapy. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm not a psychiatrist. I, I, I do put people to sleep, you know, verbally. So that you might be able to charge for, but this, I probably can't. Yeah, I, that's, yeah, I always just kind of go back to yeah, anyone that's ever succeeded. It's always just been through an absolute marathon of just slogging through shit and failure. And then it works. And then as well as like the delusion of, I always tell myself like, what if I am just like a week away from like my podcast absolutely blowing up? And I've been telling myself that for about 156 weeks now, but maybe it's the 157th. <laughs> and, you know, I don't like to think that maybe it's the 600th week, but next week I'll tell myself it's the 158th and then just kind of keep that carrot out in front of me. Right. I mean, eventually I've got to be right or I'll die. <laughs> I mean, th- think about it this way. I've had 70, I've probably had 74 weeks or more with the light, for instance. So I'm about halfway. I thought the first time I got it out there and it got out to tens of thousands of people, one of the bigger, you know, things I've been able to get out to people. I thought, okay, boom, this is great. This is going to work. Flare up. There's a lot. What? And how many of those close calls and gut punches have I had? 
in the last month, I've had for, probably had at least five or six. I thought, this is going to be the one. And then I have to stop. And I'm like, okay. I wouldn't have been speaking at medical conferences, talking to doctors, if these doctors didn't believe in it and, and didn't hear it. And, and I wasn't able to deliver that message well enough to them. And they weren't open-minded enough to take it. Now I know these people that I never knew before. You had these people on your podcast that probably when you started, like you never dreamed that you might've been able to have on, like you might've hoped to, but you've had so many incredible people on your podcast. It's crazy. Like when I looked down your list, I'm like, whoa, wow. These people like from so many walks of life, that's incredible. Like I wish I had time to like listen to all of them <laughs> if I wasn't doing, doing all my stuff. But every time I've listened to them, they're always great and super informative and bring a lot of knowledge to people that's desperately needed. I mean, if we consider it like a nutrient or whatever. It's almost like water. You know, the Bible talks about my people are, um, was it destroyed for their lack of knowledge and nothing could be further from the truth. So what you're doing and delivering and working that every day, this is, this is what needs to happen. And that's what you're doing. It doesn't have to blow up on day one. If it blew up on day one, well, that would just be really random and probably orchestrated. Um, you know, we'd like somebody to push that and help us orchestrate, but usually it doesn't happen. But eventually we get there. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I just have to keep pushing. There's no... Hang with me. Yeah, Hang with no... me for two seconds. Yeah, you're good. Yeah. Yeah, there's no, there's no secret to any of this. It's just going to be pushing until it finally breaks through. I think I just need to make peace with that. <laughs> Say that one more time. I'm sorry about the uh, No, no, time. no, you're you're good. No. There's there's no there's no like secret equation that I'm gonna come up on of like, oh, if I just do this, it'll it's I imagine it's probably a lot like weightlifting. You never just hit a day where all of a sudden your your arms grow an inch in diameter. Like that never what? Like that's silly to even think like you build muscle just through the endless slog of years in the gym and then one day like you look in the mirror and you're like oh no oh, I, I did it and there's never there's never a day where you figure out the secret to weightlifting no you pick things up and you put them down and then you pick them up again and you do it every day for hours a week for months for years, I've been lifting weights for, I don't know, about almost 20 years now, which is just wild to even say out loud. But like, yeah, there's never a moment where you, you figured out the secret to weightlifting. Oh, no, it's, it's lifting until it hurts and then lifting some more and then eating the right food and sleeping. It's, it's really not, you know, it is like, it is caveman. Like there's no eureka moment it's just the long hard slog and i think i just need to make peace with that that that's what this podcast probably is there's there might be a eureka moment there might be a moment it breaks through it's probably just gonna be like like lowbrow caveman brute force pushing the rock up the mountain and one day i'll realize i'm there and that's 
You don't have to like it. You don't have to dislike it. It's just seems to be the truth. So I might as well keep going. I'm three years in, like might as well keep walking. I think that's kind of like the, I guess the surrender I'm approaching. It's just like, whatever. Yeah. I think you just got to also just look back and see what you've already done, which is a lot. Yeah. Um, the people, the, the truth you brought out to people, like you really got to turn around. I look around, I'm like, who am I talking to now versus who was I? I was talking to myself on Facebook. I was doing these different things and not that I'm anybody special by any stretch, but in terms of um, what I wanted to try to accomplish, yeah, it hasn't been the big anything per se. There's been some little wins, um, but I'm definitely closer and closer know more people you're getting more things going on and then maybe it's just a small ingenuity maybe it's like you know on those same platforms and and you know it's some new idea you come up with whether it's shorts or whether it's something else or who knows but it just all of a sudden boom it kind of happens um you know you take this great quality you have and just a little tweak somewhere and just delivery or or whatever packaging who knows what I don't know. I don't know that sphere. I'm not good at the stuff like you are. But when that happens and all of a sudden, you know, then you get those even bigger gains. But if you look back, take stock of where you were before and look at where you are now. That's what I have to focus on. Otherwise, it hurts when I keep wanting to get this in front of me and I can't quite reach it. And I get my hand on it. At least I think I do. And it falls off or I grab it and it's Oh, it's something different. Yeah. It wasn't It wasn't the win I thought it was going to be. That's what I do. I'm like, take a deep breath. Okay, all right. We're at least this far. We've built this much. We're at a better starting place than we were two years ago, three years ago, you know, whatever it is. So you've done a lot. You've done a whole lot and you're going to do a lot more. So. Yeah. Yeah. I think it really is just like do the episodes. And once you've done them you can go to bed i think that's really just like tomorrow you'll take some caffeine and do two more just keep you know one step at a time all right well dr williams let's let's wrap this one up um text me the um the bernays propaganda book and i'll make sure to send you a smedley butler business plot book that one will melt your brain maybe we can get into that next time (laughs) sounds good all right aaron thank you so much man i love you thank you for thank you for the love today i needed that i needed that therapy okay love you too my friend i appreciate it (laughs) i'll text this to you when it's up we'll get another one on the books as always and guys can go check out all dr williams stuff i'll put all the links in the description to the lights and all that good stuff Please do text me the uh, the propaganda book because I, I will read that. Sound will do. And yeah, and I put some new links to the, like there's a purchase page now. I don't make any money on it. Again, I'll just caveat that again. But one of the companies even came out with a portable light that has about a seven hour battery life on it. Ooh. So you can take it with you. Portable disinfectant light. For yep. whatever next pandemic Bill Gates releases. Speaking yep. for myself, in, not for in, Aaron. <laughs> Eden Park, Eden Park illumination. It'll work for whatever is in there. So, cool. all, right. all right, brother. Have a good night. Appreciate it, man. I'll send you this episode when it's up. Till next time.